Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Hey, take your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Romans uh, chapter 3 and also chapter 4. We're going to get to that in a moment. I started a series last week called Sufficient, Unlocking the Mystery of God's Grace. And uh, grace is a term that we've heard a lot about, but we don't sometimes have a clear understanding of what that is. So we're going to use the book of Romans uh, chapters 1 through 8 to kind of walk through and learn a little bit more about grace. Now I'm kind of using Romans 3, 21 through 24 kind of as a foundation here. It says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all justified freely by His grace. That is, there's that word again. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So all of that leads up to being justified by Grace. So we're going to uh, work our way uh, through this. In Romans 1 through 8, it kind of paints a progressive picture. The more you read, the more you kind of dive into these chapters, the more it kind of opens up uh, to you as well. So last week, uh, Romans 1 and 2, we talked about God's anger and wrath. We talked about God's judgment and eternal punishment. And I answered two questions uh, sometimes that uh, people ask who are maybe uh, new to faith or sometimes critical of faith. I answered the question, isn't it uncharacteristic for a loving God to be angry with his, uh, with his creation? I answered that. And then also I answered the question too, uh, isn't it Uh, uh, you know, if God's a loving and merciful God, how can he send people to eternal punishment? I answered that question as well. We also talked about grace, uh, you know, kind of learned a little bit about grace. So just real quickly, last week, because once we're going to have a test at the end of this, once you get these terms, when you read the book of Romans, it's going to unlock it for you. So we talked about justify in all of its forms. Justify is a legal term like a judge saying to a person he's not guilty, he is free to go. Okay, so when you read the term justified, think of a judge going not guilty, you are free to go. We talked about the law. It represents the covenant that God made with the Jewish people, 613 commands, not just the Ten Commandments, but there were another 600 that came with that you know, that, that, were, was, that God gave to regulate Jewish life. Then we talked about grace, that it is an act of God's love. It is an act of God's mercy. When grace is working in your life, it draws you. It's the initial one that knocks on the door of your heart that gets you, that gets your attention. It makes you aware about God. Grace also reveals God's plan of salvation. So once, once grace has kind of gotten your attention, it is grace that explains to you, you know, that we are, that we are sinners and that, that through Jesus, man, there is, 
is a, a, a grace and eternal life through that. We looked at grace transforms the heart. We don't turn over a new leaf, but we get a new life. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Grace transforms the heart. Grace also cleanses your heart. Guilt, shame, dirty, embarrassment. Isaiah said, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white like wool. So grace transforms when it's working in your heart. Grace forgives your past as well. Bad choices, uh, stupid mistakes, I knew better, but I did it anyway. Anybody there? Okay. Then God forgives you. So grace is cleansing. Grace is transforming. Grace is forgiving. Grace also declares you innocent of all the charges. Here's this word again. And all are justified. What does it mean? Freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. So grace settles all the score of our life. And grace also reconciles you back to God. So he just doesn't cleanse us and go, hey, man, you're over there. God bless you. He says, no, come on in. You're part of the family. You're adopted. So grace is a multi-layered word that has all of those aspects in it. So that's, that's the, we, we learn justify. We learn the law. And we learn grace last week. Now, in Romans 4, Romans 4 that we're going to go through, he's going to give us, Paul's going to give us two illustrations that come from the life of Abraham, okay, about, about righteousness. So there are several kind of questions as we kind of get into this first part. How can I experience a changed life? Or how can I know uh, the righteousness or the salvation of God? Or uh, do you want to go to heaven? Then how do you plan on getting there? I got a little video. They asked people this question and listen to the responses that they have. That's honestly a tough question. I think almost every faith has their heaven. I think that I'm going to heaven because I believe in God and I believe that Jesus died for our sins. In my opinion, I have, it hasn't been determined for me yet, just because I haven't really lived very long. Yes, uh, I'm a Catholic. I don't think any of us can actually know until we die, I guess. I do believe I'm going to heaven. Um, I grew up in the church. If you believe that you deserve to go to heaven, in a way, if you believe you're, you're honest and good, person that you should. I do think I'm going to heaven because I believe in God. Um, well, I was raised Catholic, so I was raised that as long as you accept Jesus into your heart and you practice basically what you preach, then you go to heaven. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Maybe not because I just use Jesus' name in vain. I've been saved and I've been baptized and I go try to go to church every week and read my Bible and stuff. I guess I believe in God and I believe that like after life, he brings us to a better place and you get to be like reunited with your loved ones. I, I like that idea that it's almost, if God does love everyone, that all his daughters and sons should go to heaven. I can't determine that. So, personally, I don't know if heaven exists. I kind of hope it does. After my decision making lately, I might have some repenting to do, but I definitely think that I'm going to heaven because I'm an overall good guy, good person, you know. Um, have a good attitude and I believe in God and I go to church every once in a while. Um, I haven't really been to church in a while, but since I have accepted Jesus and I try to live by the Bible, you know, um, not sin as much and just 
spread the word about Jesus, then yes, I do feel like I'm going to heaven. I can't judge myself in that way, so all I can do is act appropriately and do nice things for other people and try not to be like, perfectly honest. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I think um, maybe if I, the rest of my life I'm a, I'm a good person, maybe. I don't think this time in my life, deter well, I don't know, maybe if I die tomorrow. I feel like it's more complicated of a, of a topic than people actually think. You know, it's not just like, oh, if you do think good things, you're gonna go to heaven. I don't think it's as easy as that. I don't know, we'll see. I think I'm doing, I'm pursuing a career in medicine, so I'm hopefully gonna be helping others my whole life, so hopefully that that'll do some good for me. I think that just, you know, doing good deeds and being a good person that, you know, yeah, I'll probably end up in heaven, hopefully. Hopefully the big guys are uh, watching this one right now, you know. So just kind of interesting thinking when it comes to kind of how do you get to heaven now or how are you righteous? How are you saved? Now he deals with this, Romans 4 and 1 and 2. I want you to read it. It says, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered or learned in this matter. It's a continuation of, of uh, chapter 3. In fact, Abraham was justified. If Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So if you're kind of new to faith, new to the Bible, let me give you a quick bio on Abraham. Abraham lived in the time of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament book of Genesis. He lived about 2,000 years after Adam and about 1,800 years before Christ. He was married to Sarah and he established with God the initial covenant with God for the Hebrew people. So I'm going to read you this covenant, this promise that God made to Abraham because it's important for the rest of the message. So Genesis 12 starts, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham heard this promise, and there are two things that kind of stand out. Number one, he's going to be the father of a new nation. He's going to, God's going to make a new nation out of Abraham. And then also, uh, the world is going to be blessed by his descendants. Okay, so that's the two promises that he makes. Okay, now, not knowing where he's going, he has no idea where this new nation is and how he's going to have descendants since he's childless, Abraham starts to move out. He had no idea at this point where this new nation was, but he starts to go. He trusted God. He simply believed the promise of God. With one conversation that God had, there was only one thing that was required of, uh, of Abraham, and that is have faith in this promise. 
and believe that God can bring it to pass. And I want to say, listen, this morning, it's not complicated when it comes to how can I know the righteousness of God? How can I know that I can be saved? How can I get to heaven? It's not very complicated. It is simply doing what Abraham was doing and simply believing the promise of God. Okay? That's all that he did. Now, as we work through this, he wants to illustrate this point by introducing righteousness by works. He's letting you know, Abraham, he didn't do anything. He just trusted and believed the promise of God. So he's going to introduce righteousness by works. So here's a new word because there's going to be a test, okay? Works. Any religious action that seeks to earn God's favor. Any attempt to justify oneself uh, before God based on meritorious action. So did you hear on the video how many people kept referring back to things that they would do here on this earth that God would, 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 would uh, see and would honor? Okay, so, so it's, it's, it's works. It's a righteousness by works. So... When you go to work, you work 40 hours, 40 hours, however, you know, how many hours are in your work week. And something happens at the end of the work week, something happens, okay? Regardless of how big your corporation is, so most, a lot of you work for the state, at the end of the week, that owner becomes indebted to you, okay? Because on Friday, when you get paid, anybody get paid direct deposit? You check, that, you check that out before you get up in the morning? I know you do. Or you go straight to the box if they put it in your box because you're checking because they owe you something. They owe you something. It is not a gift. It is not a bonus. You have worked and now they are obligated back to you based on your works. So, righteousness by work says, I'm going to do some good deeds, and now God is obligated back to me to give me righteousness, salvation, get me into heaven, just like you heard that. He's now indebted to me. It's not a gift. It's now he's indebted and obligated to give me righteousness based on the works that I do. Now look at Romans 4.4. 4. This is what he's talking about. To the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Whoever, however, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So how do you get into heaven? How do you have a changed life? How do you know God's righteousness? How do you know that can be saved? It's not by one thing that you can do because then God is obligated. This is only simply trusting in the promise that God has given you uh, of, of salvation. Okay, just simply trust the promise of God. Now, most people think they're acceptable to God by doing the best they can. We just read that. And that's called performance-based thinking. 
performance-based thinking, all right? Religious family background, you'd be surprised. How many people think because they have some generational heritage even to the Christian faith that somehow at the end this is going to work uh, in their, you know, in their advantage, all right? Or they participate in the Christian rituals of church attendance and baptism and communion and membership. They trust in their religious family background and heritage to think that in some way that when they stand before God, He would now be obligated to them based on those particular works or other performance-based thinking or they do nice things for other people. You heard that. They volunteer. They give blood. They want to be a good humanitarian. They want to be environmentally conscious. They recycle. I want to tell you something. We appreciate your recycling, but that's not going to get you in heaven's door. All right? Doing, doing good deeds. You think, you know, if I have a religious background, religious family, if I do nice things for others, or we do righteous works, we tithe, we go on missions trips, we help the Smoky Mountain Dream Center, we work in the nursery. Listen, I wish nursery working would get you into heaven, all right? And it won't get you into heaven. I do believe it'll get you right to the front door, but it won't get you into heaven, okay? Doing righteous works or trying to clean yourself up a little bit before I really really talk to the Lord, I'm going to try to get my life, get my act together, or some combination of it all. So if we do those things, we feel like now God is obligated to me because of the, the, the religious heritage, the Christian background, I've tried to help others, I've done some things in the church, now we feel like God is obligated because we have earned it. But I want to remind you this morning that righteous works, good works and deeds only produces better from bad. It only makes just a little bit nicer sinner. It only turns out that we're just a little bit, little less immoral. Does it produce righteousness? Does it produce godliness? Is it away from salvation? No, it falls way short of salvation. The only way that we'll know through God is through the grace of God. It's through God's grace. Verse 5. He keeps explaining this. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. We're, we come from America. We work with our hands. We're have, have this sense of entrepreneurship when it comes to everything, but when it comes to your salvation and your righteousness from God, there's nothing you can do but simply trust. Take your hands off of everything and simply trust the promise. It is grace that transforms your heart. You see, you get righteousness for your sin when you trust. You get salvation for your suffering when you trust. You get freedom from slavery when you trust. The righteousness of God, the salvation of God, how you get to heaven is not based on human effort or good works, but simply trusting in the grace of God. So he's trying to 
trying to make sure that people don't think it's anything that you can do. Don't give me your list because your list doesn't mean anything. All the good deeds that you do, how much money you give to the poor, it doesn't matter when it comes to the righteousness of God. So let's keep going. Can living by the law or a certain code of behavior help us with God? Look at Romans 4, 13. So he deals with works of righteousness or works. Can that help us? No. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir to the world, but through the righteousness that comes through faith. So was it going by this code? Was it living by this law? And he's reminding us, no. What was the answer? But through the righteousness that comes by faith. So let's look a little bit at the law again. Let's look a little bit. Those 613 commandments that were given for people to live by. So what was the purpose of the law? What was the purpose of the law given in Exodus? It was our teacher. The law was our teacher. They had no written code. Can you imagine? Before that, it was moral chaos, okay? The law was our teacher. It taught us what God expected. It helped us to define right and wrong, sin and blessing. It instructed us on how to live right and pleasing before God. The law was also our protector. If you live behind God's word, if you live the law of God, it will protect you and it will be a blessing. It will provide boundaries for God's blessing for your life. The law was also the ladder, of, ladder to God. If the law was obeyed, you could have fellowship with God. All right? If the law was obeyed, you could have uh, 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 fellowship with God. So it was a ladder that had 613 steps. All right? And if you missed one, you missed them all. There was no grading on the curve. If you broke one law, you were a lawbreaker. Okay? There was no, you know... Uh, no, no kind of grace there. If you, if you missed one, you started over. All right? The law was the enforcer. Because anytime a law was broken, there must be penalty. There must be punishment. There must be restitution. Because this was the law. It wasn't a suggestion. So now he's going, can you live by some kind of code and obtain the righteousness from God? No, people couldn't live by this law. So there was condemnation. They kept failing. They kept falling. 613 different laws. It was impossible. It was impossible to keep. So there was this continual struggle, living in con condemnation, afraid of God's wrath because of disobedience, because the law can only accuse, but it cannot deliver. The law can point out sin, but it cannot save. The law can show us where we failed, but cannot help us from failing. The law can condemn, but has no power to free us. All right? So there was no joy in the law. There was no con there was condemnation. It was literally impossible so the law was the opposite of faith is what he's trying to say. You know, if you just live by this code, I can do this on my own. Abraham was promised Canaan, and that inheritance came through faith, not through the law. And you want to know why we know that? Because Abraham lived even before the law. 
Abraham was Genesis. The law was Exodus. So he's using an illustration going, Abraham didn't pin on the law for righteousness because the law wasn't even existence there. But look what he says, 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. This promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And God who gives life to the dead and calls into being or calls into existence things that were not. Now this passage right here, this passage right here is the theological underpinning for one of the church's most famous songs about grace or about, excuse me, about Abraham. And you know it as Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had... I am one of them, and so are you, so. And I'm not doing the rest because we're online, okay? All right, but he says we're all children of Abraham because of this. So how do I get grace working in my life? How does it happen so that it may be by grace that he said, so, through faith, through faith. So how do I get this grace activated in my life? The key is faith. The key is faith, okay? No, no, no works, no living by code. How do I get this going? There's nothing that I can do but just have faith. So this isn't original with me, but let me give you this. Faith, faith, ready? Faith is facts. The sinner, we're sinners. We're facing God's wrath, his judgment, we need a Savior. Jesus was on the cross and, and resurrected from the dead. That's the facts. Talking faith. We need a little faith. The next one is A, agree. Some know the facts and agree. Some don't even agree with the facts that I just gave you, but you agree on the facts. So there's the facts that I gave you, and then you agree. You agree that those facts are true. The next, individualize. So it's not just a general kind of uh, disconnected, yeah, I believe that, but now we're taking faith, says I'm taking that and I'm, I'm, I'm applying it to my own life. I'm taking those facts, I agree with those facts, but I'm internalizing, uh, internalizing and I'm, I'm bringing that into my heart. The next part of faith is trust. I'm trusting that this is, that this, this is going to work out here. This is not my own effort or my own hand, but I'm trusting that what I heard was true and I'm going to believe that. And the next is hope. Next is hope. Like, man, I've accepted, I got those facts. I agree with them. I, I've, I've internalized them, individualized it. It's in, my, it's in my heart. I've trusted that this is going to be the right thing. And now I'm hoping. I can't wait to see what God is going to do with my life in this new faith journey. I'm excited about where, what doors God may have for me. So hope is the last part of that. So what activates grace? It is faith. It is simple faith in your life. There's nothing else that you can do but trust God's promise. Trust God's word. I want to tell you something. Sometimes people go, well, I prayed it, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it. Now listen, your emotional response 
to faith is irrelevant because it's faith, right? You know, sometimes we think people aren't really saved until they come down to the altar and use some tissue, okay? They got tissue. Oh, they're saved. You know what? Not Listen to me. It has nothing to do with our emotional response. Faith is simply believing in what, what Jesus did. It didn't say Abraham cried. It said Abraham believed. Believed. And sometimes that, that work touches people different ways. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just a simple walking in and just believing the promise for your for your salvation. So how you feel is irrelevant because we're activating grace in our hearts by faith. And my feelings have nothing to do with that. My emotions have nothing to do with that. You walk in it by faith. All right? So he, he gave us two illustrations in four about Abraham. One was about the promise. Okay? And here's the second illustration. Verse 18 that he's going to use from Abraham's life. Against all hope, I love it. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was also, was also dead. So I love the first part of that. Against all hope, there was no scrap of anything that was working that he could kind of, you know, kind of believe, any kind of momentum there. Against all hope, he had hope. There were two things that the Lord said to him. He said, you're going to be the father of many nations and I'm going to send you to this land. Later on, he told him where that land was, but there were seven adversarial tribes that were already inhabiting the land. That's not good. Abraham's just got his, Abraham's just got his family. So that was, that was one thing against all hope. The second was, you're going to be the father, literally the father of many nations. He said, Abraham, look up in the stars in heaven because as many stars as you see, that's how many descendants you're going to have on the earth. But Abraham was almost 100, and Sarah was 90, and that production line had been shut down for decades. Can I just say it that way? All right? But it's simple. Abraham's faith was in God's promise. He didn't need to see something to validate that God was working in his behalf because his, his belief was not in what he could see because that was against all hope, but his belief was in the promise of God. So what's he going to do? He's a hundred years old. A hundred years old. What's he going to do? Start going to the gym. I'm going to start toning up a little bit. I'm going to get in better shape. I'm going to start taking some ginseng. That's supposed, to, that's supposed to help my body just a little bit. I mean, what's he going to do? There was nothing he could do in this moment except trust God's power and trust God's promise. Romans continues the story. 
Romans 4.20, but look at this. They're going to put this up on the screen. Some of you need to underline this. You need to take a picture of this. You need to stand on this passage. Look. So he's got these challenges. He's supposed to be the father of many nations. There's already inhabitants there. He's supposed to have descendants. He's 100 years old. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He didn't waver. Didn't waver at all. But was strengthened in his faith gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Okay? He did not waver. So, wow. So he's walking around with his cane, his bones are creaking and popping. I'm supposed to be a father. How's that going to work? He starts going, man, I remember Friday nights around this tent used to be completely different years ago. It was, it was romance everywhere. It's Friday night, but wow, what, what's going on? See, his, his trust was not, you know, in something that he could do, but it was in the promise of God. So it's one Friday night. He's on his cane. His bones are popping and creaking. All of a sudden, he feels something different in his body. All of a sudden, something starts surging and something starts flowing in his body. Wow, I hadn't felt like this in decades. Look at Sarah over there making a little soup. She looking good tonight. She looking good. She looking, she looking good. I'm feeling, feeling like my old self here. Sarah's over there making a little soup. All of a sudden, something happens in her. Something happens in her body. She looks over at Abraham and says, look at that fine man tending those sheep. What? He's got that look in his eye. I had not seen that look in decades. Abraham comes up and goes, hey, what you doing? What you doing? That's all the story that I'm going to tell, Okay. But nine months later, a 90-year-old woman gave birth to a son called Isaac, fathered through a 100-year-old man. And not only did she have the child, but she nursed the child. What God did in her body, man, was completely sufficient. And I want you to know that what happened that night was just not a resurgence of testosterone and estrogen, but it was belief in the promise of God. He did not waver in unbelief, but he gave glory to God, and he trusted God's promise, and God brought it to pass. Keep reading. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but for but for also for us whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe, uh, who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to our life, our justification. Now listen, listen. This passage is not about miracles, okay? We're going to pray for that in a moment. But also the context of this is there, he's trying to give this illustration. That happened, it had nothing to do with his own power. And then he, he brings it back home. For us who believe in him, 
who, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death. Worship team, you guys can come. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. I want you to know, this promise is not going to happen by good deeds or the works of the law. Having righteousness, salvation in your heart is about nothing that you can do on your own. It's simply trusting in the fact that Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. There is nothing you can do to obtain eternal salvation except simply believe. It is simple faith in the Lord Jesus that activates the promise of God's grace in our life. It's simple belief. It's simple belief. It's that faith, but it activates that grace. And grace starts working. Because grace transforms. Grace transforms my heart. I'm a new creation. Through simple faith, grace cleanses. Grace cleanses. I'm a different person. I'm a different, I'm a new person. Not turning over a new leaf. It's a new life. Activating grace. Grace forgives. Doesn't matter what I've done. Doesn't matter. You can't impress me with all your bad deeds. Because grace forgives. Grace justifies. This individual is now, the charges against this individual have now been dropped and he is free to, free to go. Grace reconciles. Come home. Come home. I want to know you. It can't happen if you're trying to work and do it. Then it's not grace. It's simply an obligation that God has back to you and that's not how it works. There's nothing you can do. It's just faith that activates grace. Philippians says, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's great. That's great. That's great. And it's truly a gift. It's truly a gift. There's nothing you can do to, to earn it. So this morning, are you against all hope? You have everything going against you. There's nothing spiritually that's working, working for you. How do you get that righteousness? How do you get salvation? How do you get that changed life? How do you, how do you get to heaven? Okay. It's just simple. It's just so simple. So simple. It's just believe. It's just faith. Faith in what God wants to do in your, in your life. Sometimes we feel unrighteous. We feel condemned. We feel terrible about what we've done, you know? And that's part of grace working in our lives as well to help us to realize that we need the saving grace of God. So if you're feeling discouraged, if you feel down, I can never change, I can never, I can never do anything on my own, you are exactly correct. You are exactly correct. He doesn't expect you or want you to try to clean yourself up, get your life back together, because that's a righteous work. 
then you might feel like he owes you something. You just, there's nothing you can do. You're broken. You're broken. You need God's grace. Unforgiven, walking in darkness, feel like you've let God down. Hey, we've all been there, but there's nothing we can do except trust, except trust the simple faith in Jesus. So I just want to ask you the question. Have you believed in that promise of his salvation? Have you trusted in the fact, man, there's nothing you can do. I can't help you in that area, but you simply trust in Jesus. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Just a simple act of faith. Simple act of faith. Just trusting in that promise. And I promise you, I promise you when, you when you trust him, okay, you're going to hear something in your heart. That's going to be the Father. He's running towards you because he loves you. And he's saying, welcome home. He's saying, welcome home. Welcome home. Would you bow your heads this morning? Bow your heads. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So if you're here today, away from God, not sure where you should be, not not sure where your position is with the Lord, it's so simple. It's just so simple this morning. It's so simple. It's just trusting in the fact that God loves you. Trusting in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's simply trusting in the work that he did on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And he wants to give you a new hope, a new life. That's just the simple promise of God. Do you trust in that? Do you believe that? What activates that saving grace? It's your faith. So simple. So simple. So simple. Is that you? Is that you? Just this morning, if you're watching online, just breathe breathe to the Lord. Lord, I, I believe. Lord, I believe that. Lord, I accept that by faith. I accept that by faith. I accept that by faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Brent, lead us in a song. I'm going to come back and close this in just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I, I don't deserve this kind of love. So, Kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I can never add up to be somebody else you are. Somehow, thank you, Lord. You love the eyes you find. Simple faith, simple believing in the promise of God. Sing, I know, and I, I know.
Lord, I pray that grace is going to flow like a river. Lord, I pray today that as people have touched you in faith, the prodigals touched you in faith, people that have been away from you have touched you in faith, the transforming grace of God will start to work on their heart. Lord, they'll know that it's been not just a little prayer, but God, you're doing something in their heart as well. Lord, I pray for those online, Lord, that are that need that saving grace, Lord. I pray that grace flows like a river. I pray that grace flows like a river, Lord, that people are going to be changed and they're going to go, what happened? It's simple, the work of God, it's faith and grace that are transforming and cleansing and forgiving and restoring this morning. Lord, I pray for grace like a river, Lord, to flow into hearts and lives for those that have touched you through simple faith this morning. Through simple faith. Through simple faith. Through simple faith. Now listen, I want to pray for those who need a miracle in your life this morning. Okay? Abraham, that, that passage was about grace. But also he saw a miracle happen because he trusted the promise of God. Okay? We're going to pray over that. Maybe you need a miracle and you're like Abraham. You don't see any sign of anything working in your midst, breaking your way. Anything that would give you any hope. This morning, he did not waver through unbelief, but he regarded the promise of God. He was strengthened in his faith. He gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. So if you need a miracle, raise your hand up and down real quick. Say, I need a miracle. I just need a miracle. Up and down. Pastor, pray. I just need a miracle here today. Lord, we stand on your promise that you're a miracle-working God. And against all hope this morning, we don't see anything working our way, anything that would give us any hope, but we stand unwavered in the promise of God. And it said that He gave glory to God. Would you do that right now? Would you just give God glory? Would you give Him glory? I want you to start to praise Him in the midst of His unwavering moment. He gave glory to God. Would you do that? Come on. I want you to praise Him this morning. I want you to give glory to God. I don't see anything. I don't have any hope. I don't have any hope. I don't see anything breaking my way. I don't see any circumstance turning. But I'm giving you praise. I'm standing unwavering this morning. I'm standing unwavered. But Lord, I'm going to give you praise. I don't see anything happening, but I'm going to praise you because I know that you're a promise keeper. I know that you're a miracle worker. I know that you're a way maker this morning. And I'm going to stand. I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe the simple promise of God. I don't see anything happening that would encourage my faith, but I'm going to praise you this morning. I'm unwavered. Come on, praise Him this morning. Praise Him this morning. Praise Him this morning. Oh, God. And being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He promised. Oh, come on. God, we pray. We pray. We pray for the miracle this morning. Lord, we pray for people that are desperate to see something in their life that they're concerned over, Lord. And we stand on Your promise. We stand on Your promise this morning. And we give you praise today. We give you praise today.
Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.